The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales Episode 21, Black Swan Rising Isabel was panicking inside. How would Owen have known what story she was telling, or even that she was storytelling at all? She tried to keep her voice steady. I don't know what you mean, she said. Times like these in a world like this make people less cautious, Bella, Owen replied. Video conferencing, chats, life moving online because people can barely go out of doors. This obsession with, what is it called, oversharing? Anyway, it's fine for the plebs, sister, but you are different. You have a name and a family reputation to uphold. I don't want to ever find out about our darkest secrets through a, a retweet from a so-called friend, do you hear? Our family history is neither up for discussion nor rating. We are not wannabes. We are not celebrities famous for being well-known and entertaining in our starstruck mediocrity. We are damn near bloody immortal because of our storied history. Do you get that? We are more eternal than all the bloodlines of Europe. And what a tangled bloody mess they are. Are you listening, Lady Isabel Margaret? Isabel was shaking violently. Alone in the empty lab, she had put the phone on speaker and sat close to it because she was afraid that if she dropped it, Owen would sense her fear and might decide to continue the conversation in person. She was hundreds of kilometers away from the family seat, and she desperately wanted to keep it that way. She twisted the ring she wore around her finger nervously. Owen only used her title and tortured her middle name into syllables when he was really angry. Yes, Owen, I have always understood, she said simply. A Kempion has been at every major battle, been a voice over the shoulder at every backroom deal since that windbag conqueror came to the benighted south and divided the land among his hundred-odd drinking buddies, of which we were the first and best. Never in the history books, never leaving a trace. That's how we make our money and our mark, sister dearest. I can't for the life of me understand what you see in studying dusty old bones when you could have a secure and respectable life doing your bit for the family honor. But father sees no harm in it, and neither do I, as long as you whisper your secrets to nothing more lively than fossils. Are you talking to anyone? Not really, brother. There have been few people on campus since lockdowns began. A lot of online classes, I guess, but those are mainly for the undergraduates. I'm living in rooms in the biology building, looking after the live lab animals because most of the caretaking staff were let go and there aren't degree students around to do it as part of their lab credit. Other than that, I'm working on my dissertation. 
I thought when I convinced father to cut off your funds, you'd come crying home, keeping the wolf from the door without dishonor, are you? The wolf isn't at the door. I've got him on the phone, Isabel thought wryly. I'm neither walking the streets nor slinging coffee or pints, if that's what you mean. I haven't been keeping up with conditions where you are, but all those professions are experiencing rather a sharp official downturn at the moment. Are you doing anything else? Any online nonsense? Isabel hesitated, then sighed. No doubt he'd find out sooner or later. I'm part of a storytelling group in a text adventure. You're what? Isabel could almost feel the heated fury rising in his voice. I joined a call in a text adventure to gather once a week and take turns telling stories for a year. It's a very small group. There are only four of us. Two guys and another girl, a woman. The other female teller seems older. Who are they? Where are they? Owen demanded. In this world and in these times, brother, who knows? Isabel replied airily. Owen cursed in several languages in succession. Isabel drew back from the phone. He ended with a solid volley of Gaelic-laced Anglo-Saxon. Isabel sighed again, feeling a little stronger. Her formidable twin was really no nobleman. I sense you've been spending time with our dear stepmother. That sounds like something she would say. Do give her my best, won't you? If there's nothing else, I have a great deal of work left tonight. Behave, sister. Know your place and your birthright. You see that I never forget it, Isabel responded with a feigned brightness she did not feel. Don't make me come down there, Bella. I don't know what world you've been living in, Owen, but there are travel restrictions in place. You can't come down here. Owen snarled and rang off. Mara smiled as the swan related the conversation while she tossed it kernels of corn from the steps of her little house, now safely back in the woods. The swan had roosted on a ledge above an open window near Isabel's lab and heard the whole exchange on speakerphone. It hadn't even taken a spell to locate the girl's brother in the end. Telling Kemp Owen over three weeks? Really? Although Mara was unfamiliar with the laidly worm of spinster wherever it was, it didn't take long to tease out a name. Tell Me True waved over the letters of the song's title, rearranged them into Owen Kempion, ambitious lordling and truly evil bastard. No, truly evil, legitimate heir. And the little dragon lady, the snake princess, was Lady Isabel Margaret Kempion. Adeline be damned, be very damned indeed. When Mara had power over all their names, they would know hers, and she would make them help her get home. When the silly bird had greedily gulped the last grain in payment for its information, it began to choke. Two gnarled but surprisingly strong hands reached out and wrung its neck. Baba Yaga paused, wondering whether to take the trouble to roast it. She decided against the idea, ripping clumps of feathers out with great speed, cracking the carcass open and eating voraciously. As she dined, she looked up.
casually staring down a wildcat, large-eyed with longing. I'll leave you the gizzard and the gullet, puss, she promised between mouthfuls, as long as you aren't afraid of a little poison. Mara put some effort into setting the stage for her story. As they signed on, the audience found themselves described as floating individually in beautifully fashioned boats shaped like nests made of gold and silver leaves, tethered to each other and the central nest where Mara sat by silver chains. Lucas seemed nervous, asking about the depth of the lake. Don't worry, pilot. No Rusalka will try to drown you here and we're all chained together so that we don't drift too far apart. The only thing you have to fear here is me, or at least my tail, Mara assured him cheerfully. Lucas was not comforted. Jack and Isabel sent reassurances in the private chat. Glad that the text format meant the others couldn't see her pick feathers and worse out of her teeth with her free hand, Mara began. I thought tonight I would sink my teeth into the problem of swans. In my country, swans and geese often figure in stories, of course. We have swan maidens, sometimes also doves or spoonbills, who are lovely princesses. The youngest and most beautiful is captured by the heroic young prince when he steals her wings as she bathes. She agrees to help him and saves his life, and in the end, they're married. How charmingly tiresome. Think about it. A peeping Tom who gets the girl by nothing more noble than denying her the means of decent covering, the colossal pervert. Such stories have never made any sense to me, but we have those tales. Whether from the West or Far East, I cannot say. We don't have the brood tales of the West. The six or seven or twelve brothers changed into swans or geese in response to a blood curse by a foolish mother who wants a daughter, though personally I think this is a grave oversight. An enterprising little sister could wipe out all claims to her parents' affections and fortune with one hunting expedition and have a feast and a fabulous featherbed into the bargain. Take note, sweet Adeline. Isabel stiffened and wrote, What does she know about me? Into the private chat. She's playing with you, Lucas replied, trying to push your buttons, like this floating setting is meant to do with me. She seems to have upped her game, Jack agreed. Everyone be careful. In any case, in tales that feature a hero, Mara went on, the swan maiden is helpful and devoted. One beloved children's story, however, has the birds working for Baba Yaga, swooping in to snatch and grab an errant little brother so the sister would go looking for him. The river, trees, and stove just beg the children to partake of some previously spurned bounty in exchange for hiding places. Can you believe it? But, like the famous ballet, in any tale where the fortunes of a girl are the focus, for every white swan, there's a dark one, one with a heart as black as night. And as all the tales about young blades are also about the women behind them, let us go a-roving then with sweet Mikhailo Ivanovich the rover and Maria the white swan. Now long ago, the fair Prince Vladimir 
charged a trio of heroes to lay waste to Russia's enemies and expand her frontiers. Well, two were heroes, and the middle one was but middling. Actually, he was a sot. Ilya of Murom was a brave old knight, full of honor and experience. Dobrynya of Nikitich, though the youngest, was already an accomplished dragon slayer. Mikhailo Ivanovich, though, couldn't even slay his own thirst. While the others in the company went off to fulfill their commissions and bring Vladimir proof of battles won and riches gained, Mikhailo wandered around the countryside, going from drink to drink. One day he came upon a beautiful white swan on a lake wearing a crown and veil of filigree red gold encrusted with precious gems. The rover put an arrow to his bow and was just going to kill this divine creature when she cried out, Stay thy hand, Mikhailo Ivanovich, and do not kill the white swan. Our hero was utterly flummoxed. What would you have me do then? he asked. Take me to Kiev, let me be baptized, and marry me. I'd rather roast you and sell your finery, our hero said. The swan swam to the shore and came out of the water. As she did so, she became the loveliest woman Michaelo's bleary eyes had ever beheld. The sight of her filled him with other ideas, but she persisted. Let me receive the sacraments and wed thee in all honor, and your life will be complete. They made haste back to Kiev, where Ilya and Dobrynya were showing Vladimir how well they had fulfilled their royal commissions. Mikhailo had nothing to show but his beautiful bride, but she was definitely something. Prince Vladimir was charmed. My heroes, he said, it seems Mikhailo has come back with the greatest prize. Tell me, what can I give you for your service? A sealed writ in your own hand, my lord, that will let me drink anywhere without having to pay, our hero said. Ilya and Dobrynya slapped their doughty foreheads in disgust. Life was not fair. And Maria White Swan only made Mikhailo promise one thing. Whichever of them died first, the surviving spouse should keep vigil in the tomb for three months. Thinking such a promise would never need to be kept by him, as he would surely die first in a battle or a bar fight, sweet Mikhailo the rover agreed. Marriage changes people, and love made Mikhailo a better man. Because he could drink anywhere in the realm, he soon lost interest in that constant indulgence and was a most attentive husband and faithful retainer in Vladimir's court, distinguishing himself on a number of occasions as a warrior and a diplomat. Prince Vladimir decided to send Mikhailo to negotiate the delicate matter of twelve years of unpaid tribute with the Tsar himself. Mikhailo agreed, but decided his old tricks would serve him far better than his newfound decency. He took no tribute, but managed to convince the Tsar that the payment was on its way. He played three games of chess with the little father, losing the first, but winning the other two and half the Tsardom into the bargain. He was just about to celebrate when old Ilya of Murom 
burst through the door and told him that Maria the White Swan was dead. Michaelo bequeathed his half of the Tsardom into Ilya's keeping and hurried back to Kiev, where he had a spacious tomb built and provisioned. The body of Maria White Swan was laid therein, and Michaelo took a number of weapons with him. When asked what these were for, he replied they were to protect himself and his beloved from the dragon of the underworld, who would surely come to feast with her fearsome brood. One month into the vigil, the dragon and her offspring came for dinner. She broke the coffin asunder, delighting to feast on the quick and the dead. Michaelo captured one of her dragonettes and set his blade to its breast. He commanded the dragon to bring him some of the waters of death and life for his bride. The dragon refused, and Michaelo killed the young dragon, though hardly in a fair fight. You will regret that, came a voice. It wasn't the mother dragon. Maria rose from the coffin, now a black swan with iron teeth and a murderous glint in her fiery eyes. As if, sweet Michaelo Ivanovich, I ever needed help from you. She shrieked and slipped out of the tomb like a shadow from hell. Mara stopped. Ivan objects, that's not how that one goes either, comrade, Lucas wrote, wondering how long it would take to virtually drown if herself decided to capsize his floating nest. She had them all captive, like sitting ducks. It's how it went so far for me, Mara answered sweetly. She pressed the hot key and the Decameron yielded the nine of hearts. Damn. Well, she'd returned to her black swan by and by. Jack said, well, thank you, Mara, though it looks like sweet Michaelo's roving days are done. He replayed the description of the setting and had an idea. Swans are a good subject so perhaps I will stay there as well. Jack reaches forward and grabs the silver tether connecting his nest coracle to that of the teller he wrote and gives it a sharp tug. Mara's floating nest described itself as swaying violently in the lake. And hopefully, Jack continued, if I yank your chain, you'll know it was all in good fun. He signed off, and Mara followed immediately. I thought he was the one who said to be careful, Isabel asked. Lucas shrugged, thinking of black swans with iron teeth flying over water he couldn't get out of, and Isabel's story from before. Lucas, if you have some time, I could use a friend to talk to, Isabel said. Lucas's heart skipped a beat. Sure, but even though it's only text, can we get off Mara's bloody swan lake first? Isabel laughed. Of course. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.